right, we're going to be here in verse 14. I am going to segue from verse 14 of last week, the victory that we have in Christ, as it is a part of what this message is as well. So in verse 14, I'm going to start with, uh, again, the point that we ended with last week. We are decidedly victorious. So there are just two Ds, well, maybe three this morning, decidedly victorious. God has called us as believers. He's told us that we are victorious in him. You have this, that we are to give thanks. We have reason to give thanks. Do you have reason to give thanks this morning? Do you have reason to give thanks because of God? Do you even know what God has done for you? Have you given some pause to think of where you would be without the gracious hand of God? Where you would be without him magnifying himself in your life, your need of him? Well, this verse gives us two reasons we have to be thankful. So now thanks be unto God. And the first reason we have for giving thanks, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. Now, I'm going to say this, especially as we get further into this, that there is a flavor to the words of triumph. There's a picture behind these words, which is hopefully going to be borne out as we come a little further into the message. But there is the idea of a triumphal entry. It is the idea of a parade, that there is a parade procession marching of those who are victorious. And those who are victorious, those who are the victors, those who uh, are the overcomers of all of the battle, if you want to call it, of life, the battle of what uh, we're working through, are those who are in Christ. Ultimately, it's those who are in Christ that are called the victorious. He causes us to triumph in Christ. And we re reflect on that. You could go to many passages, but we'll take a, a departure from 2 Corinthians on this theme to go to two passages to magnify that triumph we have in Christ. Would you look at 1 Peter 1? 1 Peter 1 for a moment. First Peter 1, verses 3 and 4 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4, if you're there, let's read it out loud together. If you would, 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Do you have reason to... Rejoice in the triumph that you have in Christ because, the, because there is a home waiting for you in heaven. Do you have reason to rejoice over that? This morning, this morning on the way in, uh, we got a call or a text message. My wife was reading the text message uh, for me and she read a message from a friend of ours we've been acquainted with for some years. And, and uh, he told us this morning, he said, just wanted you to know that my wife is uh, dealing with dementia. She's been officially diagnosed and uh, it's, uh, they had God's grace to prepare them for this moment. Uh, but it's a difficult journey for anybody that's ever had to work with that. It's not an easy thing. And uh, it's uh, a lot of heart-wrenching that goes into that. And my wife uh, sitting there was reflecting and she just felt the sorrowful heart of, of um, feeling the heaviness for the family. And in that reflection, I was just reminded, you know, and I said to her, it just tells us again why we need a Savior. Amen? 
All these things tell us we need a savior. We need a rescuer from all of these maladies and problems and difficulties of life. And praise God, he's made known who that savior is. He's made it clear, and and as we were reflecting over that, the clarity that Jesus is the way. And Jesus, through what he's done for us, has made that way for us to have an inheritance that is incorruptible, that doesn't fade away, and as he says, for every believer is reserved in heaven for you. So as I was talking to Brother Forey yesterday, as he was reflecting over this, he says, you know, uh, we're both over 90, and he said, you know, I, we know that God's going to call us home soon. We know where we belong in Christ, and, and thank God for his grace, and thank God for his help, and he helps us every day, and everything. I'm, I'm telling you, if you were listening to Brother Forey yesterday, uh, he was encouraging me, even as he was telling me that his wife is on hospice. Now, how can you do that? You do that because you have a hope in Christ that only Christ can give. Aren't you glad there's a Savior? Aren't you glad that there's a Savior who is a rescuer for all who will come to him? So we have reason to rejoice and give thanks because we are triumphing in Christ. We know that we are going to trade these marred and scarred and broken bodies someday. We know that there's coming a day where we'll have a presence in the presence of God forever. That's, uh, it, here's the thing. It's better than you can imagine. It's greater than we can know. The Bible says, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. You thought about that? I often say upon that reflection of that verse in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 2.9, in that verse... My paraphrase of that verse is that not only is it better than you can imagine, but you could spend all your day every day thinking about how good heaven is, and it's better than that. It's that crazy good. And it ought to give you encouragement. Now, I said last week, and I want to challenge you with this, folks. Be careful as a believer that you not get despondent over the circumstances of life and over the politics of life, and all the difficulties that we have to go through, realize that we are here for a reason, and that is to magnify the Lord Jesus. And we will magnify him through the circumstances that he calls us to. And you don't get to choose. God will introduce you to what he wants you to go through as he wants you to go through it. And here's a blessing. He goes through it with you. He will carry you through. I can tell you this, I'd rather go through life broken needing Jesus than independent of him. Not only do I need God's grace every day, but he gives it. Praise God for that. 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to look at another passage <clears throat> that talks about being a victor, 1 Corinthians 15. By the way, I'll just say it again. Is God good? Is God good? Yes, and there's coffee too. It's good stuff. This is not rattlesnake coffee today. If you don't know what that is, good for you. (laughs) Marilyn made me laugh because she sent me a message and she said, you better lay out the coffee. You were everywhere. (laughs) uh, Yep, that's true. (laughs) 
First Corinthians 15, verse 50 through 57. Now this I say, are you victors? Okay, are you victors in Christ? Are you triumphant in Christ? This I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, the, the blessing of that is that the mystery that's being revealed, the mystery that we are going to know by the teaching of God. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, or that is, remain in a state of just being dead and in the grave. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Just speaking to believers. In a moment, how long is it going to take? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The twinkling of an eye, people have mused over what does that mean. And really, it's this, it's this quick. It's the flash of light across the eye. In the twinkling of an eye, <clears throat> excuse me, at the last trump, <clears throat> for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised. How's, how's it say they're going to be raised? incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is what? Swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to be on the winning side, and when I say the winning side, we're not talking about a touchdown or the end of a game. We're talking about the winning side of being saved from hell and rescued to the presence of, of our God. The only way that can be done is through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The blessing of that is that Jesus has made it all possible. He paid it all. You know the song, Jesus paid it all. And gives you an inheritance where all of this corruption is going to pass away. You're going to be in his presence forevermore. And we are rescued. And it says here, thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. So that gospel message is open to everyone. It's open to anyone that wants to be saved. Anyone that wants to be rescued. He has given the call of redemption, the invitation to anyone who will come. And the promise of the gospel is that anybody that comes, he will in no wise cast out. He will not turn you away. What, a, what an incredible message. What a great, gracious God to offer to us this gift. Also, what a deplorable thing to despise it and to reject it. He causes us to triumph. Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, there were two reasons I said, now thanks be unto God which giveth us all, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. <clears throat> and then there's another thing in this verse. He causes us to triumph in Christ, but he makes manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Another reason to rejoice is that God has called us as believers to be the sweet smell of the knowledge of God to a world that needs him. So when you read that word or read those words, manifest the savor of his knowledge. 
The translation of that is that we are called to go out into the world to make known. That's the idea of the word manifest. To make known, to make clear. To make clear what? The sweet smell of the knowledge of God. Who he is and the gracious message of the gospel. The gracious message that there is a rescuer from our sin. There is a rescuer from our doom of being outside of of salvation. There is a rescuer and he wants the world to know that message and we as victors in Christ can rejoice that God has allowed us the opportunity to go out into the world and to be that aroma that brings the knowledge of who God is. Is there a need to know who God is today? Do you think the world knows who he is? How are we doing in the world about knowing the God of the Bible? Not so good, right? Are we living in a way in this world where, where the world looks like it's following God? Is there, is there an opportunity to reach people? I was, I was, <laughs> I was talking to my mom the other day, and uh, I, it was something about my health, and we were talking about the future, and I said, I'm going to work myself out of a job. And she said, you'll never be out of a job. There's always somebody needs saved somewhere. I'm like... She's smart, you know, I didn't think about that, you know, so. <laughs> I don't work myself out of no job. It's a, it's a never-ending job. It's a great thing. But we, who are you that you should be a steward of the gospel of Christ? You thought about that? Who are you, who am I, that we have the greatest message in the world? The greatest message, you know, I'm going to tell you something. Here's a little secret. If I could go back in the office and and somehow mix all my coffees together and put it into a pill that would cure COVID, because that's what it'll do, right? If I could do that, everybody would say, well, what a great thing. But, it, but is, it, is it the best thing in the world? No, because there's another disease and another thing and another thing and another thing. What this world needs is Jesus. And you have the opportunity to partner as a servant of God to manifest the knowledge of God, to manifest not just who he is, but what he's done and what he's done for you. Now, what he calls this is a sweet smell, a savor. And that theme is gonna be carried on moving forward. But we get to be involved in the gospel ministry as those who know him as our savior and are now the children of God. We get to make that known. We get to help others know about him. And here's what we get, one of the things we get to tell people. Did you know that you cannot earn yourself to heaven? Did you know that no matter how much work you do, you could never work enough to satisfy God's demand for holiness? so that you could earn your interests into heaven, you could never do it. If you could give God the world, it would not be enough. But did you know what? Even though you could never do it, God did it for you through Christ. And what, listen again, the doctrine that we hold as Bible believers, what freedom there is in Christ. Again, I've already said it, that Jesus paid it all. We don't wake up every day thinking, oh, I wonder if I need to do a little bit more to finally get heaven. I wonder if I paid just enough to finally get there or if I've done enough good things. We are none of us saved by our merit or goodness. It is all the grace of God through Christ. 
And the gratitude that comes from that means that we get to tell others about the Savior who saved us. We get to help other people know that. I want to say something about this, and it's a burden for me. Um, I don't think that what I just said is relegated to what I'm going to say. What I just said is, is really to everyone. All of us who know Christ have the opportunity to speak Jesus to a world that needs to know him. But I am going to underscore this just for a moment this morning. We really need to be praying that God would send forth laborers, and I am specifically going to say that God would send forth Bible-oriented pastors into the world. There is a huge lack of supply in the supply chain. Now, I want to tell you something. Now, I am going to take a little deviation here, and hopefully you won't get too lost in this. But just applicationally, I called a pastor in Greenville, because you know we're as a church looking for an intern to come that we can invest in. Our goal is to help train. We're not sitting on the sidelines as a church saying, oh, there are not pastors in the world. I sure hope somehow it happens. We want to be teaching the need here. We want to be preparing our people here. It could be that from this assembly, God will raise pastors. Would that be a good thing? We ought to pray that way. But whether they're here or abroad or wherever they are, we want to try to invest in developing that next generation. So I called it, I've been, I've been looking around, are there, are there young men that are looking to go into ministry? And I usually say this, are, are there young men who are biblically oriented so that applicationally they are conservative people based on what the Bible teaches? Are there biblically oriented young men that are going into ministry? I asked this of a pastor who is in the thick of the Bible belt. And his immediate response to me was, you have certainly narrowed the field. Well, that's, that's sad to me. That is sad to me that that's a narrow field. I want, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say this. There, there is a great need for pastors to be going into ministry for people to surrender towards that world. But in the, in the, in the area of being conservative, I am not conservative because it's a preference. The Bible calls believers to a place of being conservative. And what I mean by that is careful about our walk in the world, that we're not living a life of licentiousness, or living a life of unbridled liberty, but we are reined in by walking in a life with God that is careful about what we do. It doesn't mean that we put on legalism, but it means that we try to manifest God to the world in a way that reflects this book. It's a sad thing to me that that's a narrow field. We need to be praying about it. But I'm going to say again, this, while I've made that plea this morning, the plea isn't narrowed down to pastors, is it? This passage is a gratitude that we get to manifest, to magnify as, a, as an aroma when you walk in the room, the knowledge of God, that there is a God that you know, that when you walk in, there's something different in the air because of Christ who's in you. There's gratitude 
that we're victors in Christ, and there's gratitude that we get to be a part of that. Now, again, I'm going to say, do we always get to choose how that looks? Well, this next point is, is built on the last. We're decidedly victorious, but we are also, to strain at the word, we are diffusers. <clears throat> now, to be a diffuser, a diffuser is something that basically aerates or that spreads a, an aroma, or you can think of it as an incense or a smell. Uh, a diffuser is something that spreads that, that aroma around. And he's called us to be that. And the meaning is found in this passage as we look at verse 16. He says, for we, excuse me, verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 2, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. You and I who are saved, we are the sweet smell of the aroma of our Messiah, our Savior. In them that are saved, we are an aroma unto God. And he also says, also in them that perish. Now, how is that so? Read verse 16. To the one, we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other, the savor, <clears throat> excuse me, of life unto life. It goes on to say, and who is sufficient for these things? All right, a couple things here as we get into this aspect of the message is going to be heavily weighted by smell, aroma. Uh, this is the language that's being used here. <clears throat> so what does it mean? Well, first of all, I'm going to reflect back to the Old Testament. We're not going to go there, but I think it's worthy of knowing that in the book of Leviticus, there are no less than 16 references to aromas, sacrificial aromas that are pleasing to the Lord. And it is particularly the aroma that comes from sacrifice that is pleasing to God. And it's not because a smell is simply a smell, but it, this is something that we can all appreciate. It's not necessarily the smell by itself that we appreciate of anything that smells good. It's what's behind it. It's what the smell means. So it's, it's like having a food fellowship Sunday, and we all get it. It's the, it's the smell, the aroma of the food in the building. It generally conjures up in most of us happy thoughts <clears throat> and happy feelings that there's a time where we're going to eat together, share food together, enjoy that time together. It's, it's, it, with the smell is an event that are inseparably, inseparably linked together. And it's that aroma, that type of thing that is going to be talked about. And there is a sweet savor of, unto Christ. And then there's also a smell of death. Now, we're going to get into that in just a moment. But I want to underscore this understanding of sacrifice for a moment. And remind us all of Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. That we are a sacrifice as saved individuals. We are a living sacrifice unto God. And that is the aroma of our life should have the aroma of a sacrifice that is made to please our Lord. He says in Romans 12, one, many of you know the verse and memorize it. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your what? Bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He goes on from there and tells us things that would not be 
uh, sweet smell, where we don't live apart from him, but instead we live consecrated to him as apart from the world. Well, the idea is that we as believers walk around doctrinally as a living sacrifice because we have been purchased by the blood of Christ. He owns us as his children. He has put his stamp of his blood on our lives and we belong to him. And therefore, the appropriate response is to live a life of sacrifice to him. And what that's going to mean doctrinally is that there is a sweet smell of aroma that we have, which is life. We'll get to that in just a moment. But it actually doesn't start with that. It starts with the opposite. So we read the verse. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. Now verse 16. To the one we are the savor or the aroma of what? Of death. And it says unto death. And to the other the savor of life unto life. And it ends with who is sufficient for these things. Let's talk about that stench of death for a moment. Does death have a smell? Are there bad smells you've been acquainted with in life? Sometimes driving from here to Nampa, there's a smell in the air. I live in Nampa, and I'm sorry for all us Namponians, but it's, it's true. <laughs> there's a smell sometimes, and I, it's been debated on where that smell comes from, one of the factories over there, but there's, there's a smell. I'm, let me ask you, when there's a bad smell, for whatever reason, what do you want to do? I would say get away, Right? I'm reminded that some of you remember this story, so I will, I'll, there's enough new of you, you won't know this, but there was a, one of our missionaries, Dave Schaff, came to his house, his family came home, I think they had been away for a little while, they came home, and there was an overwhelming stench of death in their house. So what does that lead you to believe? You can't separate the one from the other, right? It's not just magically there. If, there's, if the smell is there, there is a reason. So the family walks in and it's powerful. I mean, it like knocks them back and they, there it is in the house. They don't know where it is. And what do they have to do? What do you have to do? You have to follow your nose to find the death. And they're looking all over the house and they can't find it, they can't find it, can't find it. And Dave goes under the house and as he goes under the house, there's insulation under the house and there's a sag in the insulation. And, this, and the odor is more powerful and more powerful the closer he gets. He takes an exacto blade under there and he cuts the insulation and out falls a maggot-ridden dead cat. And he gets to clean it all up, right? And now he removes that dead animal. Let me ask you, does the aroma go away immediately? 
Matter of fact, I don't know how many years before Anna let him live in the house again for being that close to that dead cat. But <laughs> it filled the house. It filled the house. Now, I'm going to tell you another, another little thing, and don't you do it, okay? Um, but uh, back, in, back in college, there were some literal stinkers who uh, would, would find, I think one of the guys got a fish, and he opened his friend's hood and stuck it in the air vent or the air filter area and just let it fumigate. <laughs> and the guy kept coming to his car like, my car stinks. <laughs> it took him quite a while before he finally found where it was. Now, do you want to be around that kind of stuff? No, you don't. But here's, here's the point. To those who are not saved, to those who are not saved, there's a two aspect message about this aroma. All right? To the one we are the smell of death unto death. Now, what does that mean? It means that we don't smell good to the world. We as believers don't smell like a sweet smell to the world. The world doesn't look at those who are manifesting Christ or the doctrines of the Bible and find themselves running to that aroma. Matter of fact, it's John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, very common verses that you know, where it talks about the condemnation of the world. This is a condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men loved what? Darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought in God. There is a natural repulsion of the unsaved to the gospel, to those who are antagonistic to Christ. There is an aversion to that message. 1 Corinthians 1, would you go there, verses 18 and following. 1 Corinthians 1. First Corinthians 1, 18 and following. I'll read for us, First Corinthians 1, 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that what? Those who believe find salvation. Right, so the preaching of the cross is foolishness to the world. How stinky are we to the world? Pretty stinky. So right now, and I, I, think, I think it's really important that all of us know this. All right, now I'm not gonna get all the details right, but I'll give you enough. Okay, so today, um, there's, there's been what I would call a, a rally, um, at least a call, to a rally of Bible-believing churches to specifically preach on marriage as defined by God. 
And is that worthy? Absolutely. It's specifically been called for because of our northern neighbors. In Canada, legislation has been passed and is, uh, it's, it's, it's not just at the front door, it's there that, matter of fact, I think, I think their legislation passed without any dissent, but it made illegal any conversion therapy, is what they call it, that would lead someone of the LGBTQ and on, it would teach or lead people out of that uh, lifestyle or that choice. It made it illegal for preachers to say or to uh, teach others that there is a, what they call conversion therapy, which we would call regeneration, salvation, and rescue. And so in Canada, pastors are having to make decisions of whether they're going to preach the Bible or not. Do you think that influences here in the United States? So much so that more and more Christians are finding it, uh, finding pressure within their own hearts to not be very vocal about saying anything about the, the I'll just use the word, the gay lifestyle as, a, as an umbrella, that's what I'll say. I mean, are we, I'm going to say, are we crazy? Is this, is this world crazy? Well, I'll say yes. I mean, I've been watching the news and, and now we've got, there's some, some news about track where there are two transgender people that are vying for uh, the top championships there in women's sports. And so you've got men competing as women and women trying to change into men competing and guess what they're doing? They're beating all the biological, which everybody has biological, either man or woman. They're beating all the biological females. And there's a cry out against the unfairness of it. Now, even the unsaved are saying, this is not fair, but you know how they're saying it? They're saying it in a clandestine matter, manner. They don't want to come out and give their names. They want to be anonymous because why? It is, it is absolutely true that there is an elevated ire in the world, an elevated anger in the world against not agreeing with the world that that is forbidden by God, that, that lifestyle, that choice to live outside of the parameters of biblical marriage. There is an anger in the world against that message so that if you say things against it, you are attacked so much so then now it's in the political world. Now it's apparently in Canada against the law. And I don't remember all the details. You have to research it yourself. But I, I saw something like, a, I don't know if it was three to five year sentence. Um, is it wicked? Well, not really a question. So here, here's the thing. We as Christians are called to this time to be the aroma of the knowledge of God and the aroma of Christ. Amen. And we're going to have some decisions to make on whether we're going to put a lid on it or whether we're going to be the sweet smell of Christ. In a world that says, well, that's not such a sweet smell. Matter of fact, if you 
If you do not believe um, what the world is telling you, and what is it specifically the world is telling you? The world is telling you that there are multiple genders. So I'm going to say it this way. Do you agree with God that there are two genders? And upon affirming that, what will you be called by the world? Well, you'll probably call everything under the book. Could you be attacked in one form or another because of that? You have a choice to make. And by the way, looking like Christ in this doesn't mean looking angry. It doesn't mean that we go out in the world and we're, we're, we're going to you know, fight those people who hate God. That is not the demeanor of Christians in the Bible. Now, while it's the top agenda, by the way, it'll alarm you. In the Obama presidency and the Biden presidency, how many of the gay lifestyle have been purposely put into political office? It'll surprise you. It's, it, it's well into the multiple hundreds just in the Obama presidency. So you're going to find a growing, a growing, a growing, a growing sentiment this way. Why? It is the natural cause of what God has said in his word. It should be no surprise. A godless generation will absolutely turn to this particular area of sin. How do we know that? Anybody know the passage? Romans 1. But to the world who does not love the Lord, this is a stink. And only God can change that heart. Only God can change that life. By the way, who changed you? Were you, were you saved because you were that, uh, that smart? You were saved by the grace of God. And you and I are capable of any manner of evil if it wasn't for the grace of Christ. We needed a savior. Anyone else in the world needs a savior? But to the world, it's a stinky message if they are antagonistic to Christ. Now it says, the unsaved, here's, let me find our passage again. To the one, we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other, the savor of life unto life. How is it death unto death? Well, not only are we the smell of death to them, but there's a reason for it. The sentence of those who are not saved is truly death. We are the death smell. And it will be exactly that. So what happens when a critter dies on the planet? You're driving down the road and you see a dead what? Well, probably a cat. What happens? What happens to that creature when it's dead? It bloats. It becomes maggot-ridden. Nothing about that. Nobody, I'm sorry to be gross, but nobody goes and gets that that animal and says, let's bring it home and bring it inside. Nobody does that. You don't want that around your life because it has everything that's dead about it. And it's all what? It's all ugly. It's all ugly. 
To those who are not saved, it is an ugly message. The ugly message is it's a, an eternity under the judgment of God. There's nothing pretty about it. For those that think, well, I'm gonna do my thing and if there's a hell, I'm gonna party with all my unsaved friends in hell. Uh, not according to the Bible, you're not. The greatest disease on the planet is sin and the judgment that comes from it. And there is a remedy. There is a rescuer and his name is Jesus. And he loves the unsaved enough to rescue, to die for them. And folks, we are that smell. Now, to the unsaved, the aroma of death, and it truly will be their doom to not accept Christ. To the saved, it is the savor of life unto life. First Peter 2, if you would. First Peter 2. First Peter 2 has a lot of admonitions in it, but I want you to see the sacrifice that we are because of Christ, who we are in him. An admonition to believers that we are to live in this newness of life. Verse one of 1 Peter two, wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Why are we to lay these aside? We are not dead. We're alive in Christ. So we need to act like we're alive in Christ and that needs to be a part of our lives where we fashion ourselves after Jesus. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word <clears throat> that you may grow thereby. If so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, for whoever is saved has experienced the grace of Christ. Verse four, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We as that living sacrifice, give sacrifice unto the Lord by living for him. Wherefore, in verse six, also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is what? Unto you, which believe, Jesus is Precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made, the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble <clears throat> at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye, think about the grace of God in verse 9, but ye are what? A chosen generation. What does he call you? A royal priesthood. What else does he call you? A holy nation and, and elsewhere and furthermore I should say a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Further, verse 10, to close this passage, which in time past were not a people but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. So we start with this passage of being decidedly victorious. We are diffusers of the aroma of Christ 
To those who are not saved, this cornerstone is a crushing stone. To those who are saved, we are built upon the rock of Jesus. And then we come back to the close of our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and our last point, the last D, and that is deviate. That last letter, deviate, here's the point of verse 17. Well, let me just read it. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 17, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God speak we in Christ. Now, this verse is essentially about the gospel. So it's, that's its most focused application. But when it says in verse 17, we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, it's not only the doctrines that re, re, uh, revolve around salvation, it's all the doctrines of the word. We do not corrupt what God has said. So listen, folks. We have a decision to make as those who are victors in Christ. You and I are called in this life to journey in this life with whatever God has put in front of us, and we live in such a time as this. And we have decisions to make. Are you, as a follower of Jesus, going to live your life based on what God says, or are you going to try to change the word of God to make the world happy. You've got a decision to make. Will we corrupt what God has said? Will we join in partnership with Satan where we say, has God really said? Or we start to compromise and say, well, maybe as an application, maybe what the Bible says about marriage is maybe not interpreted quite the right way. Will we start accommodating the message of the world so that we will fit in, in, in the world and corrupt the word of God? It's a popular message. Matter of fact, denominations are wrestling over this and guess what they're doing? They're changing their position on marriage. So I wanna say this as clearly as I can. The Bible condones one kind of marriage and it's between a man and a woman. And that is a biological man and a biological woman. God did not make multiple forms of gender. He made two. And all these things that we see, by the way, here's the thing. As a believer, knowing the word of God and, and being redeemed by God, the things that I've just said almost feel to you like, well, duh, that is not rocket science. It's not rocket science that there are two genders. It's not rocket science what God calls marriage. But it's amazing how the, the world is twisting like a worm in the sun, trying to find a way to get out of what, the, what God says. So the world may shake its fist in the face of God, but you are the smell of Christ in the world. I'm gonna tell you why we like to come together as believers. We like to come together because there's an aroma of Christ in his children. And if you are showing Jesus in your life, 
It's a sweet thing to see Jesus every time. It's hard when you go out into the world and you smell the smell of the world all around you. It's sometimes very tempting to get caught up in the, in the swell of all of that. But know who you are in Jesus and know what God has called you to. And remember to look like Jesus in the process. To love people who need saving. Did the world accuse Christ? Did the world assign to Christ satanic motive and, and empowerment? If they misused our Savior, how do you think you will be accepted by a world that is growing in its fervor to be antagonistic to God? So you have a decision to make. Listen, God is going to take us through trials so that we will be strong in him. But it's a decision you must make, a decision to stand for the truths of God, a decision to manifest Jesus, to magnify him to a world that needs him. And I've got news for you, in this crazy mixed up world, God still saves people. So you're a victor, remember that. Remember who you're supposed to smell like. Last little application, we're done. It's the practice of many that when you leave the house, you put on deodorant. You might even put on cologne to cover up who you are. <laughs> You do that on purpose. Can we agree this morning that we need to on purpose smell like Jesus? God help us in this, amen? It's an exciting time to be a Christian because God has called us to this time to magnify him. And by the way, I'm not saying that with any social agenda in mind. God has not called us to fix the world's view of marriage. We are called to represent what God has said in his word, humbly loving him and telling the world what God says. All in the spirit of love and grace. But also being willing to suffer if God calls us to do so. Are you ready to stand for Christ?